As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined, as always, by Matt Fortuna. Um, he's in Chicago. I'm here in South Bend. Um, we're recording in the evening, so I'm the closest I can to Chicago is enjoying a Chicago beer from Pipeworks Brewery. Um, Matt, we've got, uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, the open practice may be underway on Thursday. Um, so we'll, we'll talk a little about what we would like to see and what I sort of expect to see. But... Worth recapping uh, some of the news of the last week. Captains, seven of them. Jack Cohn named the starting quarterback. Uh, Notre Dame ninth in the AP poll, I believe. Um, Correct. So I guess let's start with the captains. I sort of had a Twitter thread of sorts and I, when they were announced. And to me, it was just it was interesting about their different backstories. And I think we always sort of think about captains as, well, it's the best player. It's a four or five star prospect. And, you know, for Jared Patterson, it was a kid who was committed to Arizona state and chose Notre Dame when Notre Dame barely had an offensive line coach. Um, You know, Kyle Hamilton was a four star prospect who everyone expected to be really good, but it's even better than that. Um, So some good backstories there. And also I think it was interesting, like for the first time in a while, there's no returning captain. So it's, even though you have seven, it's seven first time guys, which I I think is sort of an interesting subplot to the whole story. Yeah. I mean, you really had like all shapes, sizes, classes, positions. And as you tweeted backstories, I mean, Kyle Hamilton, who's, you know, snap your fingers and is there and is going to be a high draft pick. You have Kurt Heinisch, who, is really kind of embodied the, the growth of, and tenacity of that defense, particularly that defensive line. And, you know, was no one's idea of, I mean, he's a super, super senior. He was no one's idea of a five-star, you know, future great player coming out of high school. We thought he'd be a solid player. Um, and then, uh, you know, just reading your thread now, like the names, the blast from the past that feel like they're from lifetimes ago, but are still like playing leading roles in each of these guys path to and development at Notre Dame, whether that's, you know, Mike Samford, uh, you, you mentioned, 
Uh, Brian Van Gorder, you mentioned, which Drew, Drew White committed to um, out of St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Um, the, the, the one that really resonates for me, well, well, Drew White was was the surprise. I don't know if we mentioned him when we were going over potential captains on this podcast last week. The one that was a surprise to me, um, not surprise, but you know, I think has the most unique story, has got to be Avery Davis. Right. I mean, quarterback prospect who committed to Mike Sanford, played running back, cornerback, receiver. I'm pretty sure there's a position in there that we're missing. I mean, he literally was a new spot every single time we saw him um, in practice or, or, or coming off the bench. And um, last year really made maybe the biggest plays of the year um, on the, that final regulation drive right. um, against Clemson to force overtime. And obviously they went on to, to win that game and, and knock off number one, um, which was a memorable moment for everybody. And, uh, you know, not the – I can't – remember any like incredible interactions with him other than him being really excited and talking a lot about Ian book after that Clemson game, because he had played the position before, but um, you know, those are the guys that I remember talking about like early on in Brian Kelly's tenure, like the CJ pro sizes of the world. And, you know, a couple other players here and there, Bennett Jackson, I think, you know, started at one position and, and ended up in another and um, you know, kind of a blast from the past in that regard, but um, it, it, it's a well-rounded leadership group. I mean, you know, there's no returning captain or returning starter or quarterback. And I, I think you, know, you could probably throw Jack Cohn in there as an unofficial leader of this team just by default as well, even though he hasn't earned his stripes in this actual program the way those guys have over the past few years. But, um, and, and, you know, be remiss not to mention, happy for Myron Tonga, uh, Tonga Viola Amosa, um, Obviously, a, a tragic event, you know, precipitated this last week. But we all saw the video that Notre Dame posted online that was very emotional and very touching, and happy for him to to get a little bit of ray of sunshine out during what's probably been a couple of weeks from hell for him. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting talking to Myron on Tuesday of this week. He came up for interviews and talked a little bit about his dad Thule and just sort of the, what the last few weeks have been like, and you know the. The burden, but like kind of a positive burden of leadership where the example you set and the demeanor you have is important for other guys to pick up on and run with. Um, and even I think he went as far to say, like, you know, if I came back and wallowed or didn't give it my all, like that would be somewhat disrespectful to the, the support that I'm getting. And, you know, it was cool to hear from Marcus Freeman as well about the day Myron got back. Um Marcus just assumed that Myron would come to practice, but watch it, um, you know, red eye back from Hawaii. Some, you know, it's, that's a long journey back, uh, after like in normal times. Right. Um, but now like Myron shows up, suits up, is in practice. Um, and I think it was really like, just from a football point of view, you know, aside from the leadership and the inspirational part of it is to me, probably going to be one of the more, kind of one of the guys that I'm most confident is going to have a great year. Um, but you know, in terms of moving to defensive end down in the two sixties now, uh, and it was Eric Hansen from the South Southburn Tribune mentioned this, uh, in the interview, just about, you know, do, you're watching a film of like Sheldon day. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a good point. Like he's a, mm -hmm. a quick, sudden, shorter than your, some of your Khalid Kareem, Julian Aquara, Adi and Ogundeje types. Um, but very powerful. And just from a leadership perspective, there is no doubt um, he will have an incredible, incredible amount of credibility 
around the program for the rest of the year for coming back and just sort of showing the the mental toughness that he has shown. And like, you know, we, I'm trying to think if we've talked to all the captains so far, Avery Davis came in, I think it is always one of the most self-aware kids on the team from an interview perspective, which I always appreciate as a reporter. Um, so we talked to Myron, we got Kurt Heinisch, who's kind of joking around. Uh, we got Drew White. Um, you know, it's Kyle Hamilton has come in. So it's, I think we've sort of hit most, if not all of them now, Kyron Williams has come in. You know, it's like, I think I kind of want to segue into some of the interviews that we've had here with Kyron Williams as a jumping off point for that. Cause like Kyron, if you get to know him or spend some time with him, like he is a incredibly naturally confident guy. Um, there's not like a front about it. He just believes uh, that he is going to make you miss and he believes he's going to run for a touchdown or he believes he's going to run you over. Um, and after talking to Mike Mayer today um, on Wednesday for interviews and Braden Lindsay on Wednesday for interviews, I do feel like the Kyron Williams attitude has started to seep through the offense. And to me, that is a kind of an interesting sidebar to where Notre Dame may go. Cause if Notre Dame has more Kyron Williams personality to it offensively, they will be better for that. Uh, I don't think they got really any of that from a freshman Mike Mayer or Javon McKinley or Ben Skoranek, maybe a little bit Skoranek. Um, Ian Book had some of it, but it wasn't like out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's more Kyron Williams in terms of attitude on the roster offensively, that to me, that is a good sign that things are going well, even though maybe we have not seen it in an open practice on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we last spoke coming out of an open practice where we talked about how the offense looked a little bit uneven. It was tough to really gauge who was winning what, especially since the first and second team defense had kind of blended together um, when we saw them play. You may have heard similar. I'm sure you have heard similar. That sounded out of the ordinary based on people I spoke to afterward. Mm -hmm. It sounds like the offense has definitely – had its way with the defense for the most part. I mean, I think most practices, you know, the way it's been described to me is, you know, there's no mistaking which side of the ball is better right now. Um, part of that's to be expected when you look at the returning playmakers on both sides of the ball. I mean, all know, we know all about Kyle Hamilton, but, um, you know, they're very, very high-end NFL draft picks on this Notre Dame offense at running back, at tight end. Obviously, at center with Jared Patterson, two of those guys I just mentioned, I, sh- I should plug our uh, the Athletics preseason All-American team, Kyron Williams, Michael Mayer, actually not Michael Mayer, Jared Patterson, and Kyle Hamilton all made it um, this week. But um, there's definitely a swagger to this unit. Um, and I think some of it comes from the coordinator, Tommy Reese, who uh, probably can show it a little bit more this year now that he's – I don't want to say a veteran offensive coordinator, but he's not a rookie offensive coordinator anymore. Last year was his first year. Um, there seems to be a lot more personality in this group. There seems to be much more of an edge with this group. Uh, I absolutely think um, they have heard all the love that the defense and the recruiting and Marcus Freeman and the people they're going against every single day in practice have gotten, and they've used that as fuel on the practice field, which is a great thing if you ask me. Um, and, and I think, you know, anytime you lose, like last year's team was so old, so experienced at quarterback, at offensive line, 
um, that, you know, the, the, a Kyron Williams or Michael Mayer, regardless of how old they are, just aren't going to walk right in and start, yeah. you know, shoot, shooting off the cuff the way they can now. Um, you know, they earned their stripes a little bit last season by contributing to a very good and successful program and team. And I, I think this year, that's where the bulk of personality and edge, at least early on, seems to be coming from. Yeah, I, I thought that Braden Lindsay today was talking about how he believes no one can cover him. Uh, Mike Mayer's quote was, you know, didn't didn't expect Somebody asked if last year was a surprise. No, I know what I'm capable of. I'm thinking this year what I did last year times 10. Like that's, that's not like I'm just going out and trying to be one 11th of the offense or I'm, you know, just trying to help old Notre Dame here. That's like, I want to go out and kick some ass. So that's, that is, um, that's a departure. I, I think at least out right like i'm not saying that guys have not felt that way or talked that way in the locker room but when you put a recorder in front of them things change and this is a this is sort of a, a different approach there so that's i mean that, that's what i want to see most on thursday when we have roughly two hours in the stadium a little bit more than that i'm hoping it's pretty scrimmage based but i want to see the offense like kind of make the defense look bad um I, w- I would like to see the ball move up and down the field. I, I would like to be entertained offensively. And I do think Notre Dame has the material to do it. We did not see any of it really last week, um, but that it wouldn't surprise me if it happened, but it's something that I would really like to see. I've got three letters for you, Pete. N-I-L. It does not pay to be humble in this era if you are a five-star <laughs> recruit who can already write your ticket to the NFL. Right. I guess a year and a half from now, in Michael Mayer's case. Yeah, um, for, Marcus Freeman was like, thank God he has to be here two years. <laughs> Marcus Freeman also said he's open to the idea of throwing Kyle Hamilton there if Michael Mayer wants to come over to his side. I mean, I would almost rather see Michael Mayer, I think, as a defensive end than I would Kyle Hamilton as a wildcat quarterback yes, or if, tight end. Or- if you watched any of his high school film, um, it there would be some abuse on the field uh, with Michael Mayer playing defensive end if if he could swing that. I also like the uh, shirt Marcus Freeman wore to practice on I think Tuesday. What was it, Wapu Nation versus everybody? Yeah, so, says the former top fifty overall prospect. <laughs> That's uh, the mindset you got to have, especially yeah. as a new coach. Yeah, he said that he was coaching scout. It was like scout team punt or something. Um, and back in the day when he was at Kent State, he actually ran the punt team um, and had sort of a penchant for calling fake punts. So I think he's he's a little bit uh, – he's got some special teams in his blood, but I think also like there are points in practice where he's a dog without a job and he's just like looking for something to do. So like I'll do scout team punt. Um, and scout team punt is a lot, of, a lot of walk-on. So he's trying to curry a little favor there at the same time. The uh, official Wapu Nation uh, Twitter account said those shirts will eventually be on sale. I mean, the color, too, looks like Catholics versus convicts. Oh, 100%. By, so, um, that, that's pretty uh, entertaining as well if you're a Notre Dame fan. I, I would add one more thing to to the offensive swagger point that we were talking about earlier. Um, if Braden Lindsay and Kevin Austin look like they take that next step this year, then I think we're talking – like, I think the entire – conversation about Notre Dame, this offense changes and shifts into a higher gear um, because that's going to change everything. And the other part, as far as, um, you know, hoping to see, or maybe wanting to see the offense show that when we're present at practice, um, 
last time we saw him, like the guy running the first team offense was Drew Pine, who, right, God bless him, was not fooling any of us into thinking he was going to be the starting quarterback. The question was a matter of when Jack Cohn would be announced as a starter, not if. And now that that's settled internally and externally, you know, I obviously got to figure out what to do with Drew Pine and what to do with Tyler Buckner because I think situational football, God forbid Jack Cohn goes down, is, is what's going to dictate, you know, who ends up going in, when and where. But I, I just think now there's an identity and a comfort and a direction that they were probably still trying to figure out a little bit about themselves last week. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I think when we did the podcast in my dining room, where I am right now, uh, we were expecting to have been talking about Jack Cohn being mm-hmm. the starting quarterback, which was 40, we were 48 hours early on that. So it's, I don't know, Jack Cohn, I think we have not seen a whole lot of him in camp that has wowed you. Um, but really that's based on one practice where he got very little work. Cause as you, as you noted, Drew Pine was kind of running the show at that point. So it's, um, that's another thing that I would like to see on Thursday is I want to see Jack Cohn rip it. Um, and he was certainly not out there as much as Lindsay and Mayer were just in terms of general confidence, but you can tell, I mean, he's got some good confidence happening too, where it's like, no, I, I know what I'm doing. Um, and I also liked how he handled the, the game manager question um, mm-hmm. where he was like, well, um, let's see, you don't turn the ball over. Good scoring drives, get the ball to your playmakers, make good decisions in situations, convert their downs. Like, I'm fine with that. Um, that to me, that works for Notre Dame if the Lindsey Austin stuff happens mm. the way that you're you mentioned. And I think that I don't know. I, I I do this every year. There's somebody who has a good interview, and I can sort of get sucked into like changing my expectations about what they can do, but. Talking to Lindsay today, um, and but seeing Austin last week, I'm sort of like, I can see it. I can see how they may have some more frontline receivers than just one. I mean, really, for the last few years, it's been, you know, it was Claypool and Boykin were together, but Claypool was not Claypool at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and when the season started, we didn't know what Boykin was. Um you know, maybe this is a little bit more like, um, I don't want to say like Fuller Brown because Austin is not as good as Will Fuller, but Chris Brown, I feel like it's kind of one of those like the complimentary field side receiver. Robinson Brown from 14, maybe. Yeah. Fuller didn't really do um, anything that year. 
I don't feel like they've 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 had. I take good, it back. Sorry, Fuller didn't do anything. Thirteen, fourteen. Fuller, Fuller's great. I, yeah, I'm, go on. It's like they had they've had good boundary receivers before. Floyd, uh, Fuller, uh, Claypool as a senior, Boykin as a senior, but I, I feel like Claypool as a junior was that was kind of a sketchy situation. Sure. And I and I feel like Lindsey is there's a there's more belief certainly in from Lindsay in his cell in himself. But I, if the coaching staff and Brian Kelly's talking about transformational changes, which Lindsay was like, what is he talking about? Um, <laughs> really? Or, the players yeah, say that about yeah, Brian but, Kelly's comments. We were like, he meant like the video or the uh, SWAT team points board. He's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I understand what he's talking about. Um, but to have sort of like pieces that fit into a puzzle together in the past game, with a, a receiver who can run a deep post with speed uh, to go with Austin, who can win one-on-one. And now Lindsay is winning one-on-one. Like, I don't think they've had two firing off at the same time. And then, you know, talking to him and Joe Wil- Wil- Lindsay and Wilkins today, it's, it's really Avery Davis, Kevin Austin, Lawrence keys, Joe Wilkins, Braden Lindsay. It's like those five old guys, seniors and one being a graduate, like that's, that's what the offense is going to be. And you're sort of sitting there like, oh, yeah, well, I know we, we sort of praise offensive linemen and offensive line groups when they get old together. Like, why couldn't the same thing apply to receivers? Jones and Daniels, how's that for a comparison? That would be good. I, I, it's like, I think, I think that would be really good for these guys. The body yeah. types are not dissimilar, right? Like, Lindsay is faster than Jones, but I don't think there was a – there's been many better route runners than TJ mm-hmm. Jones. Um, and Daniels was physically so well put together, but to me, Austin is still at a different level than, than Devaris Daniels. If, but if you were getting that kind of production, right. um, and I think you could even round up, like I'm trying to think who the tight end was in 13. Was that Troy Nicholas's? Believe so. Yeah. Freshman, sophomore year. No, I think. 13, thir- no, he went to the NFL after 13. Yeah. It was pinstripe boy. Right. Um, you know, that, that could be interesting. I, I think that would be a, if they got that out of this group, uh, but the defense was a little bit better. The program's obviously more mature. The run game should be better, even though that team had hall of future hall of famer, Zach Martin at left tackle. Um, all right. This that, one does too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Just as a freshman, Blake we're Fisher. just 20 years away from it. Um, <laughs> That would be that. That might be an interesting comparison. Um, the sort of T.J. Jones to Daniels group. Yep, and to your point about Jack Cone, I think that personality is like perfect, a perfect like mesh with everything we just talked about. Everyone else on that offense, like game manager, sure. Kyron Williams, you go and tell everyone how good you're going to be. Michael Mayer, like just get open, I'll find you. Like. I'm going to be a distributor. I'm I'm a higher gun, right? Like I'm, I'm a grad transfer. I'm probably the perfect and safest grad transfer fit you can possibly find. But I mean, we're in the portal era now where everyone's looking for an exit everywhere. But like this happens like the minute Notre Dame season ended last year, no one batted an eye because it was very apparent very early on. Like, all right, Notre Dame's got his quarterback. It's transition, not transition year. It's transition quarterback from Ian Book, the winningest quarterback of all time to Tyler Buckner, who they think is going to be a really, really special player down the road. Um, comes from Wisconsin. We, we know all about like the character of the guys and personalities of the guys that come out of Paul Chris program. He handed the ball off a lot to they have Wisconsin. personality or 
coming out of Paul Chris Broker. They are. I mean, it's very similar. I mean, there's a reason like both offensive line have like mission barbecue. Yeah, uh, right. NIL deals. Like, when you think of like reliable products every year on the field, I, like those are two of the first that come to mind. Like, I don't know too many programs other than maybe Wisconsin where like Notre Dame just lost three top three round picks on the offensive line. And we're not freaking out about like what they're going to look like up front this year. We know they have good players there. We just don't know how quickly they'll be able to gel together as a unit. Um, I just think personality wise, given everything we just said, uh, like Jack Cohn is like the perfect fit to come in right here for one year. And, and yeah, it is like traffic cop. I mean, what do you want to call it? When I talked to Jack Cohn on Saturday, one of the questions was like, is this offense sort of different from what you thought you were getting when you came here? Because when he came here, you're like, okay, I know like mayor seems good. I don't know much about him. He's young. Kyron Williams is really good. Um, Tyree seems talented. You know, maybe Tommy Tremble's back. And then, like, the receiver's like, oh, I don't know what the, like this group is. And then he gets here, and it's more like, oh, okay. You've got really five senior receivers. Austin has some kind of freakier ability just in the DNA. Lindsey's got great speed. Like, I don't think what – did Wisconsin, like with, was it Quintus Cephas? Like, was he as good as Kevin Austin? Yeah, probably, right? I mean, he got drafted in the NFL. Uh, but I don't think Wisconsin has, like, Braden Lindsey as their number two. Um, or, yeah, I mean, or Avery Davis. Dan, Danny Davis three. was good. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, they didn't have any, like, game-breaking speed. Mm-hmm. Cephas was probably as good as it got there. Yeah, I mean, like, they had good tight ends at Wisconsin, right? They didn't have Michael Mayer. Not right. Right. So it's uh, I think that as Cone has gotten more and more into the offense and getting to know the personalities and personnel here, like that's where like being a game manager works. Like you can be like you can be Mac Jones if you were throwing to Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith uh, and Henry Ruggs. Like that's that's okay. Um, or you know, handing to Najee Harris. Like, but we're game manager doesn't work. And I, I think this was like kind of one of the un, unfair criticisms of Ian Book. Like, what did you want Ian Book to do with Javon McKinley and Ben Skronik? Like, these are not guys that are running by anybody. They're they're physically capable of blocking. They're physically capable of winning a 50-50 ball, but they're not just going to get open on with their own sort of raw physical ability. And now I feel like with Austin and Lindsay in particular – Less so Davis Lindsay Key, or less so Davis Wilkins Keys, but you have at least two guys that athletically are like, I know you are better than the corner to guarding you. And Lindsay even talked about this today. It's like in the past, if I wasn't wide open, I wasn't getting the ball because um, I couldn't win a I couldn't win a jump ball. Like I had no 50-50 ability whatsoever, and everybody knew it. And now we're at practice and we're sort of seeing that more. Uh, and Lindsay, like I referenced the one that we saw last Thursday where I think he sort of like went over Cam Hart and bobbled it and caught it and ran for a touchdown. And he was just like, yeah, that happened. That's happened like 10 times. Um, and before this year, that happened zero times. So like that's a change. Um, and if you see that on Saturdays in the fall, like that changes what Notre Dame's offense can be. 
I'm thinking back. I remember now as we talk about him, like I saw Jack Clone in one of his finest moments in the regular season finale 2019. It was winner take all for the Big Ten West in Minneapolis. And, you know, it's, Wisconsin wins the Big Ten West pretty much every single year. Was that one of the times uh, you were staying at PJ Flux House? Never stayed this. I did stay okay. this neighborhood. Uh, All right. I actually did. I have in-laws um, live in uh, Edina, Minnesota. I'm but, sorry. Pre- actually, I, I did not stay there, actually. I went okay. there for things, Black Friday dinner. Um, it was a snowstorm. It was – college game day was there. It was like as rowdy of an atmosphere as, as you could possibly find in a rivalry game where Wisconsin had lost it a year before. Mm-hmm. And Minnesota comes out, first play, first drive of the game, gets a long touchdown pass. You're thinking, oh, my God, like this is going to be like crazy event. And like it was like death by a million paper cuts. I mean, Jack Cohn just slow and steady, marched that offense up and down the field. Again, like in terrible weather conditions. We found uh, Jonathan Taylor for a long touchdown pass. Next thing you know, it's 17-7 at halftime, and you're like, this game's over. Like, Wisconsin's just going to do whatever they want. They're, no matter what their field position is, they're going to move the ball. They're not going to beat you downfield with, with a 50-yard touchdown pass, but I think the final was 38-17, and it, it felt like – it felt even worse than that, like, if you're a Minnesota fan. Like, they just absolutely seize momentum, control, and command of the game, completely silence a sold-out crowd, and they did it with absolutely nothing fancy, and, like, I don't remember too much about what Jack Cohn did that day. I just know he was like the, the the leader of the offense that day and he got stuff done. Like you blink and you look up and and that was Wisconsin. And again, I think they both programs are very similar, Wisconsin and Notre Dame's. I think both parties, Jack Cohn and Notre Dame, knew exactly what they were getting uh into with this marriage, with this shotgun marriage. And I think, you know, as you said, things if things go in a positive direction for Notre Dame, if you know, one or two of those, maybe three question marks turn into exclamation points on offense, particularly that receiver for Notre Dame this fall. Um, I think we're talking about, you know, a much bigger uh, group of players, much better group of players, skill players right. at his disposal than he had last time out at Wisconsin. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't want to change sort of where I think the season is going to go. I sort of felt like 10 and two seemed reasonable. Um but I don't know. Maybe it feels like a touch more likely than it did when camp started, assuming we see something tomorrow from the offense that we, you know, what we're hearing on the practices that are not open is happening. Um, you know, cause like that's college football today, right? Like you're not, maybe he may have to beat Cincinnati 18 to 13. Um, but everybody else, like you, sh- you got to figure out a way to put 38 on the board. Um, and if you have receivers to go with two backs and an all-American tight end, like I asked Lindsay about the you know, how do you feel like this offense is going to be different? And he's like, oh yeah, like oh yeah, that's <laughs> like this is going to be a lot different. Um, so I think you know the it sort of answers one of the questions that I, I think is kind of stupid, but like is Tommy Reese going to evolve the offense or not? Like no crap, yeah, he's going to. Um, he's this is what. This is more of a personnel set. I think maybe this is not his ideal offensive line, obviously, but not, not yet. Like these guys are still really good. They're just, yeah. They're young. It's like, I mean, your ideal offense, like at Notre Dame, it's like, do you have a top 10 pick? How about, do you have two top 10 picks? Like, no, uh, but they, they might though. Just not yet. It, it could be a good offensive line. Could, but what I was trying to get to was that 
from a skill position standpoint, it is much, it may be Tommy Reese's ideal of like, what do I have at running back? What do I have at receiver? What do I have at tight end? Like, this is probably more in line with the kind of offense he wants to play. And Lindsay was even like, yeah, we're going to be a lot like, this is 11 personnel all the time. Um, this is what we're doing. So that was last year. That was, they were in 11 personnel. That was the most likely used personnel set yet where that ranked in college football was actually quite low. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You mentioned Cincinnati. Um, the AP poll came out this week, and Notre Dame was actually two spots lower than they were in the coaches' poll. They came in at number nine. Cincinnati at number eight. Um, I hate to like come off as the bully who's telling the little guy from the group of five to take your ball and go home. And I went on another show this week, and I mentioned that was the biggest surprise of the top ten. I cannot believe that that team is ranked above Notre Dame right now. Um, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like a game – that Cincinnati could win, but for them to be ranked seventh and Notre Dame ninth is like that, that would be indicative of a game that is a toss up. Um, or maybe even Cincinnati would be slightly favored, which I just, I have a very hard time getting my head around that. Like, I think Cincinnati has a puncher's chance in that game for sure. They're, they're really good. They're well coached. Offensively, they have some good personnel, especially quarterback. Defensively on the line, they're good. It's a matchup that Notre Dame maybe is not going to be great with, um, with a younger offensive line or at least a less experienced offensive line. But the idea that Cincinnati would come into Notre Dame and they played that game ten times, how many? How many of them would Cincinnati win? Two. Uh, I don't know if I go. I mean, it, it would be less than five. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Clearly favored. So that that was, I guess, a little bit of a surprise. Um, but so it goes. It's, it's preseason polls. Uh, we're, what, 15, 16 days away from games actually being played. So it's not, uh, not something we need to spend a ton of time on. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a game where Nording could lose it, I think. I don't, it could. I, don't think since, I don't think Cincinnati could win it. Like, I just don't think it would take Nording playing really, really bad against a team that's good enough to take advantage of it and make them pay. Um, Look, Wisconsin's a week before. That's right now what we're looking at is the toughest game of the year. If Notre Dame lays an egg against Wisconsin and Jack Cohn looks terrible and, you know, there are all these questions going in, I mean, who knows? Like we could play out a million different what-ifs this far out from from opening night. Um, I just – if you tell me anyone in Notre Dame right now is scared about Cincinnati, like – you're lying. Like I, I can tell you <laughs> that right now. Like it's, it's just, they're not like the difference between group of fives and power fives are not quarterbacks. They're not wide receivers. They're not running backs. They're not even defensive backs. They are those big guys in the trenches and no program with the exception of maybe Wisconsin figures out a way to get really good players up front on those offensive lines every single year. And they just wear out pro smaller programs. They wear out most power five programs. Yeah. I think they'll wear out Cincinnati. It's kind of one of those things where, like, I think 
if Notre Dame's personnel was more similar to last year, where it's just kind of like, we are going to beat the crap out of you for four quarters. And by the time we get to the fourth quarter, you're not going to have anything left. Like that Notre Dame team, I think would almost be upset proof against Cincinnati. This right. Notre Dame team, I get, it is the fifth game of the year. So they probably will have learned quite a bit about themselves by then. Um, I, well, let me put it this way. What if Notre Dame was opening at Cincinnati on Sunday night? I mean, well, that changes things because it's a road game. It's a, a national TV game. I mean, that'll be the biggest game in the history of Nippert Stadium. Like yep. that changes the environment and the complexity of things. And I would give Cincinnati a better chance then than I do right now on October 2nd. But I want to see Cincinnati get by Indiana first. Like Indiana's been everyone's flavor of the year after, you know, a good half season in the Big Ten last year. Um, let, let's see how that plays out first. And let's not forget like, Cincinnati's. Defense coordinator is now at Notre Dame. Like he was a big part of his that, their success. They almost beat Georgia and almost went undefeated. And he had his pick of employment after that year. Um, like you can't tell me that isn't uh, another notch under Notre Dame's belt. The last line I could, I'm sure it's changed. But I saw something just looking up now in July. South Point had Notre Dame minus two. If that's still up there somewhere right now, take my money. Um, yep, I will. I will uh, I will drive right now to Vegas. Well, I guess you could do I could drive well in Illinois and Indiana. I guess we could do that here now too. I think we have um, an official betting partner on this podcast. It's I don't, but no ads this week. <laughs> yeah, it's uh I that that would be one line where I'm like, yes, please give me that. It's like Florida State, I want no like I think Notre Dame you yeah. know, minus nine minus I don't want anything to do with that. Um mm-hmm. Cincinnati to me feels like unless Notre Dame would have to be like they would almost have to lose to Wisconsin and then get the the tension of the second loss would have to be somehow worked into the what happened on that Saturday like Notre Dame would have to sort of blink a little bit maybe more than once I think to lose to Cincinnati and I think if they look good against against Wisconsin and sort of cruise into the game against Cincinnati then then I, I would be even more confident about Murray winning that game at that point. Yeah, I mean, the, the the parallel that I think you were trying to say was like Virginia Tech 2019 after Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's I, you could have a very tight, tense game at that point if Notre Dame um, loses to Wisconsin. Uh, I, I think it could feel kind of heavy, and it's like you got the, the Brian Kelly Cincinnati dynamic, the Freeman, Mickens, Denbrock. Denbrock, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's just a lot happening there and it's, it's a game where there are a few games North Carolina is obviously one USC is one uh, where the opponent has a better quarterback that that does not happen a lot to Notre Dame over the last couple years when it has happened it's been Mac Jones it's been Trevor Lawrence um, Desmond Ritter is not nearly that good but I, I, I do think that like that's kind of I could see the Cincinnati game sort of being like kind of mucked up a little bit. And we're like, God, yeah, I really wish that you had somebody like Ian book at quarterback. If you're Brian Kelly, who just like, would just figure it out. Um, That's not to say Jack Cohn won't, but uh, there would be, I think more confidence that um, a low scoring, a stinka, if you will, if you're from Boston (laughs) might break Notre Dame's way at the end. Look, if Cincinnati wins that game, I mean, Where's Luke Fickle coaching next year? 
It'll be yet another uh, Justin Williams emergency uh, Shamrock podcast or Cincinnati beat reporter talking about why Luke Fickle's a great fit as Notre Dame's next head coach. Well, we already know if, if another plug, uh, his story on the Fickle family this week was hilarious. He did, I think, was it hot yoga or Bari, Bar, Bari, sorry, yeah. make sure I get this right. Um, Amy Fickle, I believe, Luke's wife, yes. put him up to that task. Um sat in their living room and had some conversations and did stuff that me and Pete never get to do at Notre Dame, but <laughs> yeah, maybe flew pickles at Notre Dame one day. <laughs> yeah. That story was interesting on multiple levels. Like one of them was just like an access point of like, huh? Yeah. I don't really do that with Brian Kelly. And I'm, I'm currently texting back and forth with one of Cincinnati's SIDs about getting Luke fickle on the phone for my Marcus Freeman story. And I said that uh, I promise that if you get me fickle on Marcus, that it won't involve going to a bar, a class, with him or any kind of physical exertion whatsoever. And he appreciated that. So it's, um, you, you appreciate that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, it, it didn't sound like a great, um, a great workout, or at least one that Justin Williams was prepared to, uh, endure <laughs> Amy fickle. Uh, but yeah, check that story out. I think you get some real insight of Luke fickle. Like, look, if, if you're a Notre Dame fan, I think you would like to know as much as you can about coaches like Luke fickle like Matt Campbell, like other guys who are out there who are up and coming still. So Luke Fickle, this will be, um, it's a, it's a good story. And him definitely gives some insight on like what makes him tick and like why things have worked as well as they have at Cincinnati. I wonder if Paul Chris does party classes. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, no, I don't, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. That might be more of a brewery story. Um, yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to get into before we wrap up here, but, um, we got an open practice on Thursday. Probably you're listening to this podcast as it's happening. Um, maybe we'll have a wrap-up podcast, but Matt is uh, jetting away, I, I believe, to a wedding this weekend, not his own. But um, Back home, New York, baby. Yeah, so we will, uh, we'll certainly be back next week together, um, sort of wrapping up the weekend. And I think that uh, Thursday will be fairly enlightening one way or the other for Notre Dame. Um, again, like I, I try very hard not to change how I feel about the season based on what I see in the preseason, but inevitably is a very difficult to sort of hold off editing judgment when you sort of see these full practices. And I, I think what we see on Thursday will be pretty enlightening. Yeah. They definitely help us fill in the blanks and, and you know, like 12 days between open practices is a lifetime in the growth process of a college football team in preseason camp. I mean, we spent last week saying, no, they've got time to figure it out. We'll see if they do. Now I'm looking, I mean, I'm saying, saying this to you from the state of Illinois, where week zero is literally 10 days away right now, the first FBS college football game between Nebraska and Illinois. And that means Notre Dame's right after a week later. And I just, it's starting to feel real now, Pete. Like after all that we've all like kind of been through over the last year and a half and seeing empty stadiums and not knowing what was going to happen. Like, it's just, um, everything's starting to click and, and I'm just, I'm just feeling a lot happier as a soul knowing that, uh, well, I guess Notre Dame stadium won't, but D Doak Walker stadium will be, uh, Doak Campbell stadium. Sorry. Campbell, yeah. Um, Bobby Bowdenfield at Doak Campbell stadium. I'll get it right. One of these days is, uh, going to be packed a couple weeks from now. And we're going to actually see a, like, a full college football game with full it, fans. It definitely is one of those things where I, I feel like, Next week, I will feel like the season is imminent. Today, as we record this podcast, I'm not quite there yet, but that that moment is coming. Um, that that is right around the corner, and I'm 
really looking forward to getting on a plane. Like who has said they're ever looking forward to going to Tallahassee? Me right now. Like I am looking forward to being in Tallahassee on Labor Day weekend to see, you know, what Notre Dame is. Cause this is, um, this is one of the more interesting teams. I think either you or I have covered in Brian Kelly's tenure here, because there's just, you don't get this many questions about a team all at once and feel like a lot of the questions could break to the good, right? Like it's not, it's not like a team where like, you don't know what the quarterback is going to be. It's just, can Jack Cohn take what he did at Wisconsin and improve on it in Notre Dame? They have great offensive line talent. Can they all fit together? Can Kane Madden come as a grad transfer? You know, how does the offensive coordinator sort of change things up? The defensive coordinator we know is very talented. How does he change things up? Um, so it's, it's just, it's going to be a fascinating team that I think is going to have a lot of in-season growth to it as well. But on Thursday, we will see some of that preseason growth with an open practice and, uh, it will be a, a fun sort of evaluation for the media and then hopefully some good podcast fodder next week for us as well. Hey, you and Dylan Gibbons are the two guys who are excited to fly to Tallahassee. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I agree with everything you said. And I would put it with the subtext of we've never had this many questions about a Notre Dame team where the program is in as healthy of a place. Right. And I don't want to say pressure free because it's always, there's always pressure at Notre Dame, but it's not like, is Brian Kelly the guy? Like, is he ever going to do it? Like, is he the guy? Like, what, what direction do they need to go? No, like, we know Notre Dame. We know Brian Kelly. We know there might be a little bit more left out there for them to achieve. Don't know if it happens this year, but I'm fascinated to see how they go about uh, finding out this season. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this episode of The Shamrock. We'll be back next week uh, to sort of talk practice get a little bit more into the season. Maybe we'll get into Florida state at that point too, because Notre Dame is doing that right now. So uh, thanks for being with us on this episode of the Shamrock. You've been listening to myself, Matt Fortuna. Shamrock's brought to you by the athletic and thanks for listening to this latest episode. (laughs) 